I think that it doesn't have to be changing the industry. It doesn't have to be scaling nationally. No, that's none of that. What it is, it's about how much, how important is it to you to see the results that you're giving people, whether it's a product, a service, then does that light you up? If so, that is enough of a reason to pull you through all the challenges that you're going to go through. As artists, we are creators at a fundamental level. We see the world through a unique lens and don't settle for mediocrity. Some of us want to create new opportunities and leave a legacy, while others want to simply make a living doing what they love. This podcast gives you access to the most successful people who give new insights and tips on how to grow your following, get more gigs, and make a living in today's rapidly changing music industry. Welcome to the Do What You Love podcast, the place where musicians, artists, and entrepreneurs share their inspiring stories and advice on how to succeed in the music business. Thanks for tuning in with me. I'm Steve Jazz. Let's get into it. Steve Jazz in the house. Let's uh, make him feel welcome. Let's give him a big round of applause first. Thank you. Thank right. you. Uh, let me give a very quick intro uh, for Steve before he gets started, before we listen, before... Um, we go through his stuff. So Steve's uh, uh, been running his music school. So he's a founder and managing director of a school, music school called Music Valley. Uh, he founded uh, in 2009 uh, after working uh, for as an employee for Telstra for a few years. Uh, come from a music background, done a lot of tours with a lot of uh, big names uh, in Australia and uh, then decided to take a big leap uh, uh, into this entrepreneurial world. Uh, Steve is a big advocate of personal development along with the entrepreneurship. So I'll let Steve describe his or go through his story. But I've had the privilege to knowing him uh, being friend with him, uh, being part of his community, being part of his masterminds from last few years now. So I've known Steve for from last, I think, seven, eight years now. And uh, the journey has been really awesome. Steve is exactly the way I am uh, in a personal development world, trying to improve, trying to take things to the next level, and also um, the business world as well. We love, to love talking about the businesses and how we can actually improve operations, the processes, people, the mindset, the consumers, the behaviors, and all that. And that's the uh, that's the connection. So uh, I'll hand over to Steve. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Jag. Yeah, I'm very excited about this opportunity. Um, it's been a while for me personally since I've taken the stage and uh, I did share a, a good couple of years of a journey with Jag when we we're both doing uh, public speaking. So it's just good to be kind of back in the game. Um, yeah, look, um, so I, I guess today I'm going to share with you a bit of my background and story, um, that entrepreneurial journey from, of a musician to an entrepreneur. And we're going to get, you know, started into some of the operations and I've got uh, a bunch of about 15 links open on my um, second screen here. So I uh, just want to make sure I can share that uh, with you. So if I just uh, allow, if you could allow that, that would be great. Done. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. So you guys can see that okay? Yep. You can see it. Awesome. Um, so look, just a bit of background. Um this is essentially kind of Music Valley is um, has grown to be a bit more than just a school. So we we uh, fundamentally when we our first when we first launched it was education, and we slowly branched out into um, 
you know, meet the demands of our growing community. So things like recording and artist development, um, you know, now we do other things like artist services. And essentially as part of the vision, which I'm going to share with you, it's, it's always been about helping musicians make a living doing what they love through whatever means necessary. And for me, when I first started started out on that journey, I had no idea on the hows. And I'm going to talk a lot about that, you know, in terms of having a big vision or having a clear reason for, for pursuing this path in business because really, you know, everyone's got different reasons for pursuing business. But at the highest level, I think, um, you know, once I found that, I was pretty adamant that this was going to be something I'd dedicate the rest of my life to. So I'll, I'll share with you a bit about that and sort of how I got to where we are today and I'll talk a little bit about um, how one of the biggest milestones we've recently achieved is what's called market fit, which is really necessary, especially if you're going to be scaling and franchising, which is the plan for us and, you know, serving, um, finding a niche market that's and meeting the un- undeserved needs of that market, which is what investors uh, really look for. So um, we were founded in 2009. Uh, we, we started off, um, we were named Universal School of Music. And I'll tell you the reason why we named it that in a sec. Um, and, yeah, we're together, you know, with my team, we're creating new systems to develop, train and produce working artists by creating new pathways for the modern musician. Um, so that, you know, we've got programs that include everything from helping musicians master their instrument, their skill and craft, recording, releasing music. But we specialise, and this is only, you know, after 10 years actually, we realised that um, our core focus is specialising in working with aspiring artists to develop their music, their live act, their presence as an artist, and most importantly, their assets. So their music, their video, their um, and their live act, which is the asset. And it's, it's the thing that is most needed to convert into that next stage of a full-time career. Uh, I think you said it very uh, softly and simply, uh, mm-hmm. what you just said. I, I feel that is uh, there is a lot of depth in that, what you just said. So, guys, I think if you haven't made a note on this, I highly recommend what just Steve mentioned. So it took him 12 years to understand that what is going to make the biggest difference for his target market, for his clients, right? Uh, it's it's the market fit product. So he didn't just wake up tomorrow and said, hey, we got everything ready. He started with something, started serving those people. And along with the journey from last uh, many years, trying to tweak that product, trying to tweak that uh, understanding his target market, trying to understand and listen to those people coming up at this place now where he is today is 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 not a straight line if you probably can see that right uh, so I want to link that back to your business today if you have an offer in the market and you took it to the market for the first time or second time or the third time time and your target market rejected it and they didn't buy it uh, please feel that it's not a straight line it's it's not just going to work every time right all right Steve back to you I just wanted to make sure that people understand it it's a big bloody deal Oh, look, it's probably one of the most toughest things, to be honest. And I just, as you're talking, I didn't, I'm not sure if we have time for this, but this is what's called a, a market fit document. It's a living, breathing document that basically, basically identifies your core target market. You know, there, you, you can see here, and, and even the way that you design this and the questions, it's, it's a very new concept. Um, so there's not one size fits all. 
But we went through this process with Jake, who's one of our colleagues, and we, it's a live working document that we always come back to, and it's, it's it just you know proves our assumptions whether they're right or wrong about our market, understanding the pain points, where how we offer those, and you can kind of see you know the, the whole customer journey that they can sort of walk into over a two to three year timeline in terms of modules and yeah, but um essentially look when I first started I knew I was playing the long game guys and so. Um, with that, I I just want to sort of take you back to um, to this and a story around finding my calling. And uh, some of you may recognise this diagram. It's been called lots of things, but it, it originated with a Japanese concept meaning reason for being. And that jump for me personally, you know, going from musician to then sort of living a dual lifestyle, you know, doing gigs and tours and rehearsals after hours and doing nine to five at Collins Street, working at Telstra, you know, it was okay. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't what I signed up for when I first uh, made an agreement to myself that I was going to become a full-time musician. So I guess what gave me the tools to figure out this part here, this peach part here, was my journey because, you know, we're raised and we sort of grow up sort of discovering ourselves and what we love and then eventually we can sort of get an idea of what we can pay for, be paid for personally in terms of what we can bring to the market. But when you start asking quality questions like what does the world actually need and how does it align with the, your highest values, that's when you achieve this what's called sweet spot. I believe, and it's sort of what happened for me. So basically for me, uh, my turning point was at 27 years and up until that stage, you know, I'd done music, I'd done Windsor Conservatorium, did five to eight hours a day of playing piano and really, you know, becoming good at the craft. But a few years into university for me, I realised the system I was brought into as a musician, this is, wasn't really designed to help me, you know, translate those skills and knowledge into a full-time income. It's just not the way that that system is designed. And hence, you'll see later on what we're creating is a real alternative pathway and a solution to that. But, um, you know, so I, I resorted to getting full-time job, you know, and I did multiple different jobs from sales to door knocking to begin with. Then I worked at Telstra Consumer in Burwood, in Melbourne. Um, and then I ended up, you know, sort of moving up the ranks there and got into working with dealers and then B2B. And that was all good and well, but I was, you know, living this dual lifestyle. And so when I discovered these principles, things like universal laws, quantum mechanics, personal spiritual development, you know, all the stuff that I wasn't taught at school, which I'm sure Jag um, has definitely um, introduced you to, um, that really opened my mind up to a new way of thinking and it was the first time actually in the third of the series of trainings that I was asked what kind of a lifestyle I'd love to create by conscious design. And Mitch, my first mentor in this, said, I, you know, we had this um, manual which is like really thick and sort of we went through these processes of um, it was a lot of um, personal development reflection but we went through this process of sort of identifying different areas of our life from spiritual, physical, mental, financial, and sort of balancing out any misperceptions we had about that before we moved into creating this life that, you know, and essentially documenting a, a lifestyle that I'd love to create and a legacy, you know. And for me, that, you know, that's what I signed up for. 
And it was one of the reasons why I, you know, I love being a musician. I'm you know, inspired by the greats and the Mozarts and all that. And they're just legends, right? And I, I you know, that, that's kind of what I live for. So um, at the time, you know, I knew that music was only so far. And, you know, I had these two things. I had music, which I was loved, absolutely loved. Uh, and then I had this sort of personal development and transformation, which was just mind-blowing at this stage, and I was 27. And at the time as well, um, you know, I was invited to go partake in um, some plant ceremony, uh, plant medicine ceremonies in, in South America, and just this beautiful time came about for me at 27 where it just really opened me up to a new way of thinking, and that led me to see a glimpse of what kind of a mission and, and a vision I could create in this lifetime. Um, so that, that thinking and that approach and those tools really stopped. It, it, it helped me transition from this kind of musician lifestyle or dual lifestyle to start thinking and acting more like an entrepreneur, which is fundamentally a creator. And I believe that we're all fundamentally creators if we choose is to be that entrepreneur that steps out from an existing model that was kind of supplied for you by someone else's vision and you're, you know, taking that opportunity to create something new, to serve others, to create, you know, income and employ people. And that's really creation at the fundamental level. So that's that was for me when I had, you know, universal laws and quantum mechanics and, you know, um, metaphysics, metaphysical concepts like being versus doing and then music. And I thought, why don't I create a place that teaches musicians these concepts and gives them what I received so that they can start translating all their skills and knowledge into becoming working artists because that's what was happening for me. So that's fundamentally what Music Valley is now. Um, And we renamed about six months ago, uh, from Universal School of Music to Music Valley because essentially, yeah, we, we, we just don't offer education. And so with our target market now is they're kind of some of them, are, you know, are interested in the education and they're signing up for that. Others, it's too cool for them. So we're using, you know, very strategic terminology like studio um, and trying to, you know, avoid using too many words like school or courses and programs. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode with me. If this episode is resonating with you and you know someone who will benefit from hearing this, please share it with them. It might be a friend, a fellow artist, producer, a coach, or an established professional looking for some extra inspiration and guidance. It could mean the world to them and give them the support they need right now to help them get to the next stage of their journey. Share it with them and connect with me on Instagram at Steve Jazz. This is very good, Steve, and I'm glad you mentioned it. I'm just making a lot of notes here. Um, guys, I think if you notice it, Steve, using uh, his uh, own uh, vocabulary for the industry, but pretty much saying the same thing. So uh, what he said early on, um, if I recap, Steve, uh, you said that you spent years working on the craft. Yeah. Right? Working on the craft. So I think in our terminology, we call it a doing, right? You worked in doing that work. Being a musician, you played the guitar. You did that work, right? And then after that, becoming a creator. In our world, we call it a thinker. Uh, then employing other people and teaching other people how to do that. Uh, it, it's been a journey. And uh, I think one thing which I really liked, what you mentioned, this didn't happen 
until you develop this new way of thinking right a new way of thinking came in place which is bloody awesome so i think uh, this is pretty yeah pretty awesome thank you yeah you're welcome I'm just showing you around the studios now a uh, little virtual tour i'm in studio uh two at the moment um but yeah look um yeah, so in sort of what we're doing is, you know, we're packaging everything up, preparing it to become a turnkey model to, as a franchise model that's scalable. So everything that kind of in the background was always planning to scale and to, to essentially create a model that could just be literally sold, you know, as a, as a license or as a franchise. So we're kind of looking at um, preparing for that over the next you mentioned, uh, uh, you mentioned yeah. that you're not uh, teaching uh, or spending sort of time in uh, teaching music anymore and uh, you're sort of at the next level. Uh, oh, this is awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's, yeah, I'd love to see that. How it seems like uh, the journey, right? Yeah. So this is essentially represents all the offerings that we've cre created in terms of um, we've represented in phases. So those that are starting out, the avatars, basically the clients, the students, so, so even terminology, right, typically people who are students come in and want to be called students because they're mastering their craft. They're focusing on developing a skill, right? So you've got fundamentals, you've got things, you know, that get more technical, and then you've got the theoretical and the practical elements, whether you're learning singing, guitar, bass, drums, music production, that is represented by phase one. There, now, phase two is when you're starting to collaborate and, you know, develop your songwriting skills and become an artist. And so now what we've, and this is essentially our core target market now. And so, you know, again, these are artists. These are aspiring artists. They're not students, right? They're too cool for that. Yep. Um, hence, for many years for us, we, you know, we jerried we, we on. We were like, you know, if we want to get the, the 18 to 35-year-old you know, aspiring artist who's gone to school and gone to JMCs and gone to Ames and gone all these places and spend, you know, however many tens of thousands of dollars like I did and got into a debt, um, you know, they don't, that's the end of that road for them. So now they're looking to, you know, be part of a studio music environment that's more practical, that's getting their music heard. So, we, we focus on this mainly for the first five, six years, but we kind of started developing the, uh, the, the modules and the team and the resources and the studios to be able to support this growth from writing music to performing it to, you know, developing yourself as an artist, developing your act. Um, and then our, our mission is to really capture most of this market here and convert them or take them into 2.2 and even to phase three. And we know that, you know, there's, we haven't yet sort of done a, a long-term case study on that, but the more we develop and grow at scale our model and franchise, the more we can enable that to happen for our members and provide them actual employment opportunities. So in addition to providing them the sort of resources and the skills and knowledge to go out there and sort of become, you know, the solopreneurs and self-employed musicians earning, let's say, between fifty dollars to $75,000 a year, right, which is very reasonable for a musician, um, we are also planning to offer them work in-house as part of the company. And that's kind of part of the scale of the, the mission to provide new pathways for working artists as we grow and franchise. So we're kind of what we're doing is essentially looking to create a new 
career uh, pathway and bring it back to, um, you know, the 1950s, uh, you could tour as a, as a jazz band musician and feed the family, you know, and that, that was a legitimate career, right? You'd go on the road and, and tour um, and, you know, wife and kids back then, you know, staying at home, wife was supporting the kids and the dad would be touring and come back and, you know, you got a full-time um, income that you could, you know, support the family. So, you know, slowly over time for musicians, especially that kind of got skewed and then oversaturated with universities and tapes and all that. So in a way, we, we're treating the journey now as more of an apprenticeship model using components of coaching and education, but also very um, pragmatic approaches and, and creating new products that have never really been, um, or products that, that are very, uh, one, scalable, but also very affordable, which I'll go into in a sec now. Um, but um, is any question so far about this framework before I move on? All good to go? Yeah, all good to go. I think, Steve, yeah. um, I'd love to know. Uh, so basically at the moment, based on what you discovered, um, you don't look after or you don't do phase one at all, right? It's only No, no, we, we do. Yes, it's yeah. still a big part of it. Probably about 40 to 50% of our, our um uh, member membership base is yeah. still in phase one. Well, the funny thing is, Jag, is you'll never stop mastering your craft, right? So we've got people that come in here, think that they have mastered their craft. Then we say, hold on, no, no, no. You'll need to do some extra coaching to kind of sharpen your skills and then go back into recording your next song or your next album. Make sense? Yeah, it, it sort of worked uh, uh, in a circle, right? So yeah. they probably have something else to master and they go back to the school or learning again. Yep. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, as we grow, as we, all our marketing, which you'll kind of see now is sort of we're almost capturing people at this, this crossover point and then um, walking them through. Um, cool. So look, um, for me, you know, I, at the beginning, I didn't have any of this, guys. You know, all I knew was the why. I knew that someone had to make a stand and sort of, you know, build something new to help these musicians make a living or translate all their skills into a full-time income because that's really what happened to me. I went through university thinking that this was my gateway in and, and the more research I did, the more I found that all my colleagues and all the you know, people in the music industry had gone through a very similar pathway and, you know, coming out with a $60,000 to $80,000 your hex debt um, and then, you know, going into, into a totally unrelated career. So that was really a, a fundamental industry problem. That's the problem that we're looking to solve. So we didn't, but we didn't know how we're going to do that. We just, I just knew that that was so important that I would always hold that vision. Okay. This is, uh, this is awesome, Steve, what you just mentioned. Uh, I think uh, uh, a lot of times I feel uh, when people are starting anything, uh, we kind of get caught in that how a bit uh, way too mm-hmm. much and kind of forget the why. Um, and most of the time things are just not ready right so what do you have today like uh, if you guys looking at this uh, uh, pathway or the journey at the moment it's not just been done in a day uh, you know it's been last uh, 11 12 years of work's been put in place for this so uh, if you don't have uh, things in place today if you don't have uh, um, you know don't understand how things going to work uh, don't feel that you need to have everything in place today, right? That's the, just the message because start with the why, as Simon Sinek says, uh, but then figure out everything along the way. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Steve. This is pretty awesome. Yeah. 
you know, hold the vision, trust the process, or my, one of my favourites by Dr. Demartini, who was a very big influence for me, was um, when the why is big enough, the hows take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, and I and I have, I don't know if I have time, but I'll, I've got a, what's called a mission journal, that document I, I actually was sharing with you when I was asked to write down the life I want to create. Um, that's been my compass for my life, which I read, you know, weekly, and it's, it's part of my weekly morning ritual. But um. Yeah, so basically moving forward, you know, I started the business in 2009 and then took out a lease here in uh, Stockland. It's a commercial lease um, and uh, we're in Point Cook. Um, and basically after four years, I, you know, I was doing okay. After two, I'd say about after 18 months, I started to break even, which is kind of expected in, in a business with your capital and your outgoings. Sorry, um, sorry things- Steve, just 18 months you uh- – when you started, right? Break even happened after eighteen months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by eighteen months, we had, I think, close to one hundred and fifty, uh, and not sh- soon after that, within two years, two and a half years, we had about two hundred, just over two hundred members and students, and that was for us. That was you know profitable. Um, so yeah, we maintained that for a good four, uh, two, three years afterwards. And at that point, um, I invested and launched into our second studio in Williamstown as a as a partnership structure with an existing educator who was a contractor at the time, whose specialty was children's music programs. And this was where I learned my big first expensive lesson in partnerships. So basically, what happened there was, you know, we, we went and invested. Um, into fitting that out. Um, thankfully, I've got, you know, family members who can help with sort of fit outs. Um, but nevertheless, it was still, you know, a costly thing. And took out another lease. And um, eventually sort of what I realised about eight months into that operation was the level of management skill and understanding that was required because essentially what we'd agreed with that partner, I'd agreed that I'd help them get off the ground and then I'd back off and that I might just be our 10%, you know, shareholder in that company. But uh, it was more about me seeing the vision unfold and, you know, the, the beginnings of a franchise, right, which is like really important when you want a franchise to have that second legitimate location running and profitable. But it was about eight months in where I, I, you know, I didn't take the time to really uh, do a big skill assessment on everything from technology to managing people. Um, And I just slowly over time realized that this partner was not management material, was just not ready to manage and operate a business. Um, Although, you know, she was really good with kids and and with people and she had, you know, a, a great background in sort of occupational therapy. And I realized you know, that's that's her role. That's her seat on the bus, but I overestimated. And so, therefore, I guess I got I got a bit excited there. Um, so, I literally, I, I you know, I bit the bullet, bullet early. I pulled out of the contract about eight months in and relinquished all my liabilities and made sure I got a lawyer to look it over and make sure I was just not tied to anything because I could sense that if I was, there would be a lot of backlash. Um, from that point on, uh, I was still running the, the first studio, but I began documenting processes, systems, SOP, standard operating procedures. And that was the first point I realized the empowerment of systems and manuals and trainings and having, you know, that was, that was the necessary first step to scale this operation. So, Steve, okay. how, much, uh, how much did you lose? you mind sharing the numbers? 
in in capital probably 50 to 60k and in total uh, revenue loss from the other location because I wasn't there and I wasn't generating the normal revenue so I'd say about 100,000 all up yeah yeah 100k learning yeah which is not far off uh, an MBA right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I recently heard Jack Deloza put a, a fellow Jack Deloza from the entourage who I absolutely uh, think is doing amazing things you know he put up a post saying that you know what you learn in a business degree in four years, you can learn in business in four months. Yeah, absolutely, hundred so. percent. The journey, what you learn, and uh, no MBA can replace that because MBA is just the theories, right? Yeah. So a, a few years after that, I sort of you know recovered and sort of got back on the profitable uh, or financial stability, uh, and I was ready for my next venture. And I found a, um, I was looking for a franchise mentor. Uh, who I found um, based in um, Coffs Harbour in, in South Wales. I met him at a public speaking event and he showed me um, what he did because he was in the, in the franchise business. He franchised about 15 gyms um, and health clubs around the east coast of Australia and he went through a process in raising capital by way of selling shares. And so he, I asked him if he could be my mentor and teach me how to do the same thing. And we did that. We put a whole prospectus together and we approached about 30 people who we thought could be potential um, uh, shareholders and that would potentially invest in this operation. Um, yeah, and that was another good learning experience. I wouldn't say it was a, um, it was a negative one, but it was definitely a, a very powerful one. Um, what basically just to, to sort of end that story, we did find an investor. It was one investor that we had found that was willing to put in pretty much half a million dollars um, who I knew was actually associated with our members, one of the parents. And we sort of got to a point where we got looking into the IPs, uh, the IP rights and some legal aspects to it. And we, we just put things on hold because I realized we hadn't quite figured out everything. And that, again, once again, I could see the signs that I probably underestimated the whole franchise operation just a little bit, although I wanted to learn as much as possible. So we kind of put things on hold with that and that just kind of fizzled out over the year because um, I knew I'd revisit that when, when I was ready. So, look, at this stage, I started offering first-time professional development programs starting at about 5K, uh, and began working with well-known coaches and public speakers using that selling from a stage model. Um, while this was happening, you know, I had a team of, say, five to eight uh, contractors earning between 10K to 75K per annum. Um, just mind you, musicians are usually working two to three different jobs, and, you know, from gigging, touring, studio work, coaching, teaching. So they're kind of generally, you know, uh, multifaceted in who they work with. Uh, so how, very, how, many, how many students you had at the time, Steve? In the after, you know, um, on average, we, our set point was about two hundred to two fifty. It, it oscillated. So they were um, a recurring monthly paying students, right? Two hundred, two hundred fifty students. Yeah, that, that were actually weekly, weekly um, sessions. So, 
Um, we, we run a lot with the term-by-term or quarter structure. So, But, yeah, they're all on direct, direct debit. And obviously by this stage I learned a lot about systems and finance. And Can I yeah, please? That was please a good, big lesson. Uh, I think because you're running, you ran that school and you had this uh, monthly recurring revenue model, right, which is really important. So I think I can't stress enough, guys, uh, um, each time what we're doing and what we do in our business as well, uh, our goal is to get a project, right, when we start, uh, meaning that uh, we get a little bit of gig happening. But the goal is not just finishing there, having a monthly recurring revenue, right? So the reason Steve managed to maintain that after even having that much loss or, you know, all the learnings as well, because there is a monthly recurring revenue happening, right? Uh, Steve, uh, may I ask you how that was structured with the students? Was it based on uh, weekly, fortnightly, monthly? Uh, what did you find a good balance uh, from you know from for your uh, business? Is it a monthly recurring, or it's a, it's a term wise? How did that? How was that working? Yeah, so the way that we set out the accounts with uh, most of our students in phase one is we work off a term by term structure. Okay, because they're used to that term by term. And a lot of these sort of swimming schools, dance schools, they have this term by term structure where the, by the commitment is term by term. And should they want to continue, they, the membership kind of just rolls onto the next term. And typically they're, they're here for two to three, four, some have been here for seven years, right? So we, we, it was actually in the first two years, I, I didn't use direct debit. I think in the first 15 months, I didn't use direct debit. When I did, that's when things started to really, for me, it was the biggest eye-opener in terms of having systems and automation, and I was a bit afraid of it as well. I remember at the time I was still actually smelling out invoices <laughs> and licking the you know, the envelopes. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, then we all yeah. know, I used to send invoices as well. <laughs> like it's just so even weird to even think that, that we used to do that, right? Send invoices to people and uh, expecting them to pay. And they'd taken, like it's, I don't know if it happened to you, uh, in my business when I was sending invoices, they were just taking their own time. And then we had to chase them saying, hey, you still want that? Uh, then it becomes the other way around. And, and they feel that, it, you know, uh, we become the chaser and they're just trying to run away from us. Yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. totally. Um, Oh, that, that's a whole nother, um separation anxiety. The, the, I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing a book on all these little moments that I'm tested as an entrepreneur. And I, I, I know them clearly, right? And so in part of that book, that you know, I'll be talking about all those points when you're tested, but they're precursors to go to growth. And it's about, you know, delegating, trusting, elevating. Yeah. Delegating, trusting, elevating. And that's how you scale in your own personal growth as a leader. Right. But that was just, yeah, a big one for me. So, you know, we give them the option of just the direct debit form. They either choose monthly, weekly, or fortnightly uh, recurring payments, but they're committed. They're signed up. They have to sign up and pay off the whole term. They can't cancel once they started and they need to give us, you know, two weeks po- uh, notice and there's a policy and we send them all that upon enrollment. So they know full well when they sign up that, you know, we're structuring things, we're structuring our contractor agreements, their timetables, everything's structured in such a way we're planning for each student as well. We've got scorecards for them in phase one. So everything we do is, you know, legitimate. And um, it was also, you know, it's a very big test with clients and, you know, even with parents, It's but it's a personal test and it shows your integrity. When you're willing to honour the structure that you have and you're not willing to budge on that, 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 you know, some people... 
obviously, you know, want that kind of casual relationship, but deep down inside, they know that they really much prefer having structure and, and someone who's leading an organization who can maintain that integrity because they know that ultimately, like, that's what an organization is, organized, right? Absolutely. So, you know, you step from this one-man show to organization, and then when you have a policy and you stand by that policy, it's the first time you realize that this is scalable, that, you know, it's not you anymore. It's the company. The company is its own entity. That alone was a whole thing for me. It's like, what, I'm not the company? No, no. The company's a whole other entity. It's, it has its own liabilities. That took me years to kind of just understand. So, um, yeah, really, really, oh, uh, you can see I, I, I light up because these are the things that, enable growth. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode with me. If this episode is resonating with you and you know someone who will benefit from hearing this, please share it with them. It might be a friend, a fellow artist, producer, a coach, or an established professional looking for some extra inspiration and guidance. It could mean the world to them and give them the support they need right now to help them get to the next stage of their journey. Share it with them and connect with me on Instagram at Steve Jazz. It's it's those little lessons that of growth, um, which enable you to. And I think uh, this is funny, business. but uh, I'm I'm glad you're saying this, Steve. Uh, you know, you cannot uh, delegate this learning to somebody else. Like it's just funny mm-hmm. that it's just you have to go through the process. You cannot just think that uh, you can learn from people absolutely you can learn from people but your learning your process your way of doing it you have to go through yourself like nobody can go through this journey with you you have to do it yourself like you know these are the things you have to go through yes um, people like steve can teach uh, tell you exactly the mistakes they made and uh, you know what you can avoid but unless you go through it it's just going to be really hard. It won't sink in. And I've seen that so many times. You read a book and that person made a billion dollar and that person wrote everything in that book and uh, normal people read it and nothing happens. And I'm, I'm intrigued like why that is not happening and what's the reason. And I think I found that little tiny thing is that uh, everybody's got their own learning path. Unless you go through it, you won't feel it. Like it just doesn't sink in for people. Yeah, right. the learning the learning is everything. It's yeah. um, and I really like Steve what you mentioned earlier. Like this, I've wrote around these three things. Uh, uh, if you want to take it to the next level, you know, wherever you are, you must delegate, trust, and elevate. Right? Without delegating and trusting, uh, elevation won't happen. Right? It's just uh, the way it is. Yeah, um, and and so one thing I want to mention just to add to that is that it's a skill. And, and it, you know, I use great analogy of just learning the guitar. You've got to practice, man. And everything is a skill, finance, marketing, sales, operations, customer management. It's all a skill, which, which, gives, which should give you confidence knowing that anyone could, could do this. You know, there's obviously certain people that thrive in particular areas, but you're kind of doing everything to begin with. You need to get to a certain point and take this company to a certain point where you can, you know, actually structure it in such a way where you might be the CEO or the leader or, or focus on management or hiring a manager, but essentially everything is a skill. So, um, 
yeah, I think that gave me confidence when I first heard that and um, you treat it that like way, you know, like like learning an instrument. And, and when I think about it, I, you know, I was practising piano from age 11 to, you know, one, two, three, four, even up to eight hours a day. And I was like, why don't I apply that discipline and skill to business? Imagine how great of a you know masterpiece I could create if I apply. And so that gives that gives me confidence knowing that I'm and I can treat it like that and play it, play the game of business, play the piano, you know, keyboard here, play the game of business, get good at it, do your scales, you know, practice. Like right now, we've got an event. You know, event management is another whole skill. We've got an event we've got tonight. Um, and so, you know, that whole thing, like the way that we've prepared now is has only been developed because we've done so many events and treated it like a skill. We can, all the little things from batteries to lighting to, you know, delegation and event management schedules and all that, uh, really good skill to have, by the way, event management yeah, kind of shows you so preparation. Can't, can't learn from day one, right? So it's something, it's a process that everybody has to go through. It's Absolutely. Uh, awesome. Uh, Steve, uh, you mind... Uh, um, going yep. through and talking about your client acquisition. I know now yep. things have changed. You talk about phase two uh, where uh, you work with artists and um, going through that process, like uh, how do the people come into the business? Uh, what it, what method do you use uh, to you know enroll people? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, because we've got quite a number of programs, uh, I was going to go into um, this now, actually. So two years into this public selling from stage model, I realized that the cost per sale and the acquisition exceeded our marketing cost. So I had, what I realized was I needed to find a new marketing strategy that would serve as a low barrier to entry, right? And with a higher margin product. And also realized, because this is kind of also when I started looking more into finance and developing a skill of finance, um, you know, being able to do cash flow forecasts, for example, and thing called profit centering. I realized that one-to-one sessions, offering one-to-one sessions, which is essentially we're in the professional services industry, right? Um, that wasn't profitable because we, you know, we had to charge $150 an hour just to make 45, 50% GP, right? Um, so literally in 2020, I spent about six months remodeling our entire business model to ensure we could mac- maximize the customer lifetime value and minimize our marketing costs, right? So this, what you see here is kind of one of the, the results of uh, developing, uh, where is it, this program, which is writing, recording, performing, and releasing music. And we, we do it over sort of five-week cycles, and it's in essentially what it is, it's highly organized collaboration. You can kind of see all the songwriters, the featured artists in there. You've got all the music and the, the demos that we record and everything, the studios, the timeline. Um, yeah, and this is something that, again, it serves a need because of artists nowadays it's the industry standard to collaborate. But when you've got something that's very organized and, you know, someone reaches out to you and say, hey, what project are you working on? Oh, I've got this, you know, idea. I'm a vocalist great, hey, listen, I can assign you to a producer and a really great, you know, saxophone player that can really match that dance house trot vibe that you're going for. What do you say, well, you know, we organise a collab for you? Bang. It's very, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool. So we spent about eight months really dialing down that and, and just it's product development and then we went into the marketing that and we spent most of last year marketing that by uh, Facebook, Instagram, direct marketing 
probably spent about $10,000 in marketing um, just to test out that lead acquisition and cost of sale price. And it was going well, but then the sort of lockdown happened and whatnot, so we kind of put a pause on the marketing. Um, but that's just, I, I, I think it's important to mention this. The value proposition that we that this offers in terms of providing a solution to the average musician is that if, if you kind of know the industry, like to typically to the cost of getting a music recorded, written, produced to a high quality, it's about 500 to 800 per song, maybe even 1,000, sometimes even up to 2,000, right? This model reduces that by about an eighth of the cost. So we're providing, giving artists an alternative already that's something that this is actually a $35 a week program. Some of these artists literally came in for one cycle and paid 35 times five, so $175. So $175 versus a thousand. This is kind of the value proposition that we're offering now, aspiring artists. So we're, so this is again, we're really clear now that it's the aspiring artist, this one here, that this is where they are in the journey. They're not up here because a lot of established musicians have their own tribe and their own systems, right? But it's the aspiring one. Um, so we marketed that. We, we did a four-week free trial thing that worked to a degree to really dial down that whole operation. Um, but um, we put a pause on that, and now what we're doing to walk you through the current marketing campaign. So I, um, we have a, a program called Record Label Ready, which is actually one of my guys. It's his program, and he joined our team. His name is um, Johnny. He's from the band called The Pop Bellies. You may have heard his song on the Jeep ad, <laughs> uh, the one that goes, Don't Hold Back. Don't hold back. Is there anybody out there? Right, so he's he's one of the band members of that that um, that song, and they've toured with Usher and Madonna and you name it. And so he and I have been talking for uh, probably two two years, and we sort of connected. He's been watching what I do, been watching what he does. And about three months ago, I picked up the phone and said, "Hey, man, look, one of our producers is leaving. Are you keen to join the team?" And he's like, "I'm in. Perfect timing." So he goes, "Look, I've got, I've already got, you know, three quarters of it developed, which is a, a funnel." Um, we'll just we'll do a joint venture. So I said, great. So this is what I want to take you through today because I think this is just, it's already set out, it's fresh. Um, so essentially you can see that's his name, that's our brand. This is a, 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 an ebook, free ebook opt-in, right? So the ad, I won't bring it up, but essentially it's download your free ebook, uh, everything you need to know, no music theory. Uh, finally find out what you need to know in the easiest steps possible to live out your dream of becoming a successful artist and producer. And a lot of this script has been provided as copy template through other marketing agencies that Johnny's been working with, similar to, you know, what the copy that Jag's providing you. But this has been infiltrated from Tony Robbins and, you know, all these other kind of gurus out there and it just works. It's been tested. So a lot of the copy you see here, is literally just tweaked for us, um, but it's all legitimate. You know, this is him with, working with clients. 
Um, and it's basically, yeah, so the, 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 I'll just walk you through the process. They basically click on that. They give their details, they submit that. That then takes them to the VSL page, um, the video script landing page. And there's a video there. Once they've downloaded the book, they get an email and they can download the book on the email, which is a 60-page PDF. That's it there. Yeah. Right? So it's a value add. Yep. That's the that's you know that's the lead magnet, um, and they get a series of uh, nine emails. This is all the copy for the nine emails, and they also get free beats they can download and use as part of the music productions. Hey there! Thanks for tuning into this episode with me. If this episode is resonating with you and you know someone who will benefit from hearing this, please share it with them. It might be a friend, a fellow artist, producer, a coach, or an established professional looking for some extra inspiration and guidance. It could mean the world to them and give them the support they need right now to help them get to the next stage of their journey. Share it with them and connect with me on Instagram at Steve Jazz. We only have a little bit of time left. I'd love to see now the back end of the work, like operations, how do you manage that many students? Like I know you just you know shown us mm-hmm. a lot of list of things, right? There's sort of so much stuff uh, happening. There is so many uh, levels within the client journey. How do you manage that? How do you know who's where and and you know where what they're trying to do? Uh, love to see the back end of that work where you have uh, uh, clients and and how that happens. So my biggest asset right now, yeah. Uh, is- is my team. They are trained to work autonomously with probably 20% involvement from my end. Wow. Okay. This is yeah. a big deal. This is so, massive. Um, I'm still using Google Sheets, but so far I'm not sure whether I'm going to need to migrate over to Monday because this is a lot more fluid for now and the way that we use it for the managed timetable. So this is Alethea, one of our vocal coaches. Right, You can see here. Um, this is a timetable. She just does two days a week um, in students, and each student has what's called a scorecard. So, for example, I can just, you know, hyperlink that, and that student gets access to that scorecard, uh, which has their, uh, where are we? you know, their lesson content, the tasks and the resources and the points. Um, all right. So literally, you know, I have onboarding training for each of my team that I get them trained up to understand our processes, our term-by-term structure, setting very clear quarterly objectives with their students. Um, and literally my job, like Richard Branson says, you know, my job is, you know, was to look after my team and my team looks after the customers and that's it. That's it. If you've got a team, that is, okay? Um, and if you intend to build a team. so. Yeah, when I, I learned this two years in and I, and I realised, well, I can actually step away from teaching and I could potentially just crunch some numbers and look at how much I can make by just managing the team and being there, supporting them and doing administration and finance and, you know, automating that while my team grow their timetables. And I, and I do still do the enrollment process and all that as well. I still take all the new students through a process. Uh, I'm still sales, um, front end. But I've been in and out of that role over the last few years. And obviously with the pandemic, I had to sort of step in the front end. And that's one thing I want to say is that 
you as the company director or the business owner, man, you've got to be on the front when, when times get tough. And um, depending how well you've created your systems and whether you've got, you know, uh, all the, the backups and the contingencies, you know, thankfully we could move online and we did that. But I realized, look, I've got to go back into sales. I can't afford to, you know, pay someone 40 grand to do admin. Um, so I'll just take that 40 grand and I'll, you know, absorb that cost and not, not, um, yeah. So that, that's essentially it. I've got five people at the moment. Um, and you might, and I do a bit of coaching as well, but I do that on a sort of more rotational basis with that artist development program. Um, so, so how I kind do you have... train these staff? Uh, are you doing one-on-one? Uh, David's asking in the chat. So is it like you create videos or do you have a, a program, onboarding program for them? How does that work? Like, Yeah, look, with the one-on-one and sometimes we do quarterly review, we do quarterly team meetings where we kind of catch up and just do a kind of overview of where the company is at, what our focus is from a sort of strategic point of view, but not getting too strategic, not not with these guys. We, in your industry, you would probably get more strategic, a bit more corporate, but with musicians, you can't. Like, I realise that, man. And I had to scale that, that conversation right back and just keep it very surface level. That's another thing I do want to say. Depending on the type of people you have in your team, there's certain information that you want to share with them in these quarterly strategic meetings and there's certain information you just don't want to share. So I'm... Um, Quarterly with the team, quarterly catch-ups. We've got events and things like that that we run. We're very social. Um, so we'll go on tonight um, and one-to-one 90% of the time. So, for example, Alithia, who's new to our organisation, has had some experience in, in training as a vocal coach. She's just getting used to now our processes and using the scorecards. And, man, it's a funny thing. I've I work with uh, Martin as an example. who's you know taught at Harvard, and you know he's one of the alumni from Berkeley, and uh, really well educated musician and an amazing, phenomenal musician. He never used a spreadsheet before coming to Music Valley. <laughs> now he uses it in everything that he does, and. My point I want to make here, because this is my industry, but you might find similar gaps in yours, right, with, with your employees or your contractors, is that once you provide them with a template and a structure to, you know, and train them on that, uh, that serves your business, like, that's it. That's all you need. Uh, obviously, you hire based on look at skills and I, I hire based on values as well. There has to be a really good culture. That's a big part of what we're focusing on now, performance and culture, because we've focused so much on operational development, marketing. We've got good marketing now. We've got good uh, team. We've got great, uh, you know, results and, and, and you know, our, our membership base is growing. Now we know, and I've seen this, that, the operational from a culture point of view and energy. And when you hear your avatar say it's a great energy, I can see online. Uh, and, you know, there's a enrollment form that says, you know, choose the reason why you're enrolled. You know, people are starting to say things like, you know, there's a great vibe in the place. And that is strategic and that's measurable. There are measurable touch points that we, that I consciously put in place 
like, for example, the types of conversations that happen between the staff in between the, the class changeovers while the other students and parents are in there watching, we know that's us selling music value. And so we consciously have conversations that sub, like subliminally or, you know, um, subtly show the fun that we're having and the professionalism and the results that we're achieving. So the conversation could be things like, you know, just had a breakthrough with, you know, Joanne. Um, she started here and now she's banging out these club anthem songs. I'm so proud of her. Have a listen. You know, we'll open, leave the studio open a little bit and crank it up a little bit. And then people, in, you know, in the hallway going, wow, who's that? What's happening? So, um, again, back to, to, to training and a question, one-to-one, 90% of the time, Catching up quarterly for you know a dinner and maybe just a, a more a, a bit of an overview of terms of where the company's at and what's happening on the back end, but that's it for our industry. When you start getting people that are part time and full time, you know that's a different story. I, and I've had that in the past, but right now, and I don't think that's really what we're fo- what we need to focus on now. When we franchise, yes, that'll be like the head office and they'll be core team full time employees but in the nature of the industry we're in now and especially i I recommend for those starting off in hiring contractors just one-to-one most of the time and just giving them templates literally just going here's the templates here's everything you need i'm here to help you over the next month or two months but but my intention is to back off because i don't want to micromanage you and i want you to have the full freedom to run this the run your own show and musicians love that in fact i think a lot of people love that independence a lot of people love it. No, no, in in our industry as well, Steve. Um, when we say this, uh, you know, the, this is your responsibility. You do this. This is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I think people love take on that responsibility. It sort of helped them uh, take on that a little bit. Uh, is is you know, uh, and especially like uh, we have a lot of, uh, or I had when I was doing a lot of agency work, is you know, a lot of uh, 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 contractors or freelancers from Philippines. And they loved it. You give them this little bit and saying, hey, this is your responsibility. I'm just looking for these results. And mm. that's it, right? And you hand over to them. Yeah. Uh, Steve, um, uh, I think uh, just conscious of the time, uh, I want to leave it uh, a bit of time at the end for Q&A as well. Um, my last thing which I'd love to understand is uh, where you at with, uh, with the next step. Like what's next for uh, a music valley? Yeah. Um, so the franchise is, is, is the next step for us now. And I've done some research in terms of what I need to prepare for the pitch deck for investors. Um, but essentially the pitch deck would be proposing, um, funding for 20 studios across the country, uh, within three years and using the model that we've created to, to run that. Um, and there is a reason why we have to do it in three years. And I realized that, you know, there's when you take investor money and you want to capture market share, you need to do that fast. So yeah. for us, it's been about lining up the ducks and preparing all the ducks. And literally now we've got all the ducks lined up. We've got one of those ducks was a low, was an effective marketing strategy that funnels into as a low barrier into your ecosystem. Then showing the customer journey, showing, you know, case studies of clients that have been with you for, you know, 
don't know, a year, two years, three years, you have your average customer lifetime value and amount that that could be all put into the spreadsheet and obviously, you know, presented to the, your investors as well and crunch those numbers. Um, good team, you know, a good founder, a founder who's willing to invest their own time, money and resources. I've done that many times. Um, and just, you know, the culture and then, and, and, you know, and that's it. And so once you've, once we've got all that, which we now have, we're confident to present. So we'll be spending probably, you know, the next three to six months putting together that pitch deck and, and uh, yeah, I started to talk to a few kind of franchise firms out there to help us plan for that. And um, that's, that's the next step for us, Jack. Awesome. Awesome. Um, look, uh, thank you. I think this is awesome. Uh, what I'm going to do is, Steve, if you can uh, stop sharing, I'm going to pin ourselves in there. And uh, team... We got, does anybody have any question for Steve? Anything somebody want to ask? Just unmute yourself if you want to have a quick conversation. Um, how did you get over the, I think I would have like a trust issue with trusting somebody else to do what I've created. How mm -hmm. did you manage that and how did you get over that? What do I say? You know, it's, 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 it's like, it's a step of faith. It really is. It's walking into the unknown, and that's another thing that you you signed up for when you when, when you started this journey. And so it's progressively developing that skill. Yes, but doing your research, you know, having your, your your trainings, your modules, giving people you know opportunity to test out whether they can actually handle the role to begin with, and and, and that's fine. You know, some people need to really prove that they're capable of doing a job, and it's up to you to give them everything they need. That's simple, consumable, to show that whether they can or can't do it, and then having that realistic conversation, saying, "Look, based on this criteria, you can do this and this and this, but you need work in this and this, this, this." So moving forward, I, you know, will get back to you, or I will help you train in these areas if you're willing to invest equally as much as I'm investing in bridging those gaps. Yeah, to just it's you know, it's all BS until you test. With marketing and with your team in a new project or a new role. Yeah. So, you know, trials, um, trials. Lizzie is asking, thanks, Steve. Lizzie is asking, um, she said, what are the traits needed to succeed in business? What's What do you believe, Steve, in your opinion? Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, something that's just a little bit beyond the business is, you know, for me, this, this is a very spiritual journey uh, and what I'm doing is has a lot of meaning to it. Um, I think that it doesn't have to be changing industry. It doesn't have to be scaling nationally. No, that's none of that. What it is, it's about how much, how important is it to you to see the results that you're giving people, whether it's a product, a service, then does that light you up? If so, that is enough of a reason to pull you through all the challenges that you're going to go through and all the times that I've decided, should I just throw in the towel? And over the last two years, there have been two or three major points where I felt really defeated and I didn't like it. And I was just, you know, my team were with me, and I, but I knew that this is bigger than me, so I pushed through. So I guess that's one of them, um, having that vision that what you're doing is actually just a little bit more important than just you 
Okay. Um, the other thing is, what else? You know, having courage to take new actions and take risks um, and just the discipline to, to learn, to always learn, always learn, and everything's a skill. Um, the other thing I do want to say is that, you know, working with mentors, I realise mentoring has a um, uh, has four stages. There's the initiation stage. There's the cultivation, the work. Then there's the separation at the end when you're ready to kind of just move on and take that and walk with it. But then there's a final stage, which is really important, which I never realised until late in my years, and that's the redefinition. And that, and I think as mentors, it's very important, you know, even as a trainer or as a manager, when you work with someone and you've gotten to a point, you, you need to have that conversation and say, you've done everything that I've asked you to do or you've done all the work that you needed to do. From this point on, this is all you. You know, it's like a blessing. And from that point on, <laughs> you also need to expect that that employee or mentee can take off and do their own thing and you want that. That You know, for your clients, especially if you, you know, you're, you're helping you're in education, you, your objective is to see them sort of go through and then succeed and not have to rely on you for much longer, right? But that was something that I realised is probably very important in the relationship stage of mentoring, training and, you know, employing staff. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I've got a question. Uh, I know your journey is pretty long, right? You started in 2009 and uh, you're still doing the same thing, like in the in the business, trying to, um, same industry. I'm sure uh, in the last many years, uh, you would have thought uh, to quit. Mm. Has it ever happened that you thought, oh, this shit is not for me? Um, I felt... Like I said, I felt there's probably, I'll definitely identify all these points in my book, but, man, oh, the last couple of years have really, you know, had to face what, what I call face the dragon. You know, like the, the dragon is a metaphor for that sort of underworld, you know, Lord of the Rings and all that sort of stuff. It's, and I think for what I signed up for and the kind of impact that I'm looking to create and change I needed to face that level of dragon, but I think we all have dragons. We all have challenges. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I definitely felt like throwing in the towel. But, again, I just knew that I trusted that this was part of the learning. That's, that's the thing that got me over the line. Like, no matter how defeated I felt, no matter how much money I'd invested and kind of lost, lost, which is also a perception. <laughs> it's, you know, the way that I perceive the loss in, say, advertising revenue now versus how I used to see it then totally transformed. It's an investment. It's appreciation for, for building. And just remember, you know, if you're prepared to take those risks and go that far in this marathon, what happens is let's say you're, you've got competitors, right? I don't actually believe in competition to the real you and to the, your real vision. I believe everyone, there's, there's a space for everyone. But let's just say for argument's sake that you've got competitors and that one person drops out one year in, you continue. The next person drops out another year in to that, you continue. You, you know, you push through that. By default, all those customers become yours over time, right? And that's, that's the game we're playing 
you know, the person, the entrepreneur that can sort of hold out and play the marathon and but but have something that's a reason to keep going and, and maintain that laser focus on that vision, that's that's the real gem in what you need to find as an individual so that you don't let those outside external forces and influences deter you away from pursuing that, that road, that vision. So awesome, Steve. Thank you. Um, I think Welcome. we're right on the dot. Uh, look, I just want to say thank you for coming and joining us. Uh, and I know you have something going on in the next couple of hours. Um, you are a busy man. Everything, uh, you know, it's happening. And uh, But thank you for taking our time and coming and sharing uh, your journey with us. Uh, uh, I already know the, uh, some of the things I've discovered uh, for the first time as well. And it's been uh, been really uh, a great experience having you here on this stage and, and speaking to all of us and, and sharing that from last many years, what's been happening. And it sort of makes me think that, uh, you know, some of the points you mentioned are they they right uh, on on the dot uh, that in this journey everything what we're doing is is learnable skill right so mentioning that and hearing from somebody else out there who's going through the similar sort of journey which is bloody awesome so thank you guys uh, look uh, uh, please join me and uh, give a bigger round of applause for Steve for coming and saying and sharing his journey with us um, thank you Steve and uh, thank you look uh, really appreciate you coming here Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode with me. Do you know any artists or professionals in the music industry who have an inspiring story to share? Right now, we are looking for a selection of key figures in the local and national music scene to be featured for an interview on the Do What You Love podcast. This is an exciting opportunity to be heard and discovered by thousands of active listeners in the industry. If so, please share this podcast with them and connect with me on Instagram at Steve Jazz.